0: So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We've been looking at this passage. It it seems like in chapters 5 and 6 and 7, we were kind of making our way pretty quickly and we've kind of crawled our way through Romans 8 because there's just so much here to consider. And we've been talking about um, the the ministry of the Holy Spirit, how God and His providence as an act of grace towards His children has given us His Spirit. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, lives inside of us. And that the Holy Spirit helps us in our sanctification. When I say sanctification, I mean that journey, that process. We call it progressive sanctification. the, The process of God making us more like His Son, Jesus Christ. And notice how I said God making us more not that we make ourselves more like jesus but god through his power is conforming us into the image of his son now we have a part to play in this we do it's not all god in the sense of you know we just leave it completely up to him and we're these passive individuals we were challenged in in Chapter 8, verse 4, to walk according to the Spirit. We have to yield ourselves. We have to walk with God's help if we are going to be conformed into the image of Christ. Now, as we see in this passage, and we're not all, not even all the way through it, the benefits far outweigh the challenges. And we, we saw the challenges in chapter 7 of the tension of indwelling sin that, that is fighting with that that new spirit that God gives us, that there, the flesh is hungry and yet God is saying, no, there's something more. There, there's something better for you. And so as Paul was struggling with that tension, he, he rested in the truth of verse 1 of chapter 8 that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We are free. The righteous judge has declared that there is no more judgment for sin. And so we approach this text specifically in verses 14 and following, and I pray you see God's love magnified. I want to say a word, and you can say this out loud if you want. What do you think of when you hear the word home? What do you think of when you hear the word home? If you want to say something, go ahead. Heaven? Okay. What else? Family. Family. Rest. Is that what you said? Yeah, rest. Comfort. Comfort. My easy chair. Your easy chair. Okay, well. We'll see if one of those moves into the sanctuary. Um, what else? Security. Security. Love. Love. All right. Well, those are all good things. When I was thinking of this word of home the thought came to mind, it's the the place, it's a place to belong. It's a place to belong. And I think that you guys touched on that with all sorts of uh, adjectives to describe that word. When I leave here today, Lord willing, I will go home. Not to heaven, (laughs) but I'll get my car and I'll drive home to the place where my family is. And it's the place where I live where I am loved, and where I am accepted. Home is where we belong. This morning, as we continue our study in Romans, we see how the Holy Spirit confirms our belonging to God. That He is our home. The Spirit helps us. This passage in front of us, as we have been saying all throughout Romans 8, is a matter of assurance for the believer. When I say the word assurance, I mean that God is comforting us with the certainty that we belong to Him. Now, we can know certain things that the Scriptures teach that if we believe in Jesus, if we have trusted in the sacrifice of Jesus... That we are sure that His sacrifice has paid for our sins. And that we are saved from our sins. And that we are given eternal life. And we can know all those things in our our minds. And we can understand that and be able to recite Bible verses. But when it comes to assurance at times, we become anxious and worried and wonder, am I really saved? And so we need to figure out where our assurance rests. And when I say assurance, it's a gift that God gives us to comfort our souls that we truly belong to Him. And that we are guaranteed that because He's given us the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is given, the Spirit testifies inside of us that we are sons and daughters of God. That's assurance. Now that's a big deal for us for multiple reasons. For some of you, the idea of home may have been a foreign concept when you were younger. Maybe you grew up in an address in a dwelling, in a place, but you weren't sure if you were loved and accepted. And for some of you, those wounds run deep. And it was through the wounds of of your heart that you heard the voice of God calling out to you when He did, when He said, come home. And you heard and you saw and you felt and you sensed love in a way that you have never been able to process before. And so you came home to him, and for the first time, you knew that you were loved and cared for. And as I said a minute ago, maybe you know certain things in your mind. I, I know what the Bible says about salvation about what has happened. You know that Jesus died for you. But when you reach back to what Paul discussed in Romans 7 about the tension between ongoing sin and the Spirit that God has given and you feel overwhelmed and overcome and you think, how on earth am I changed when I don't feel like I'm changed? When you feel insecure about your standing... Paul speaks with grace into our hearts that because of Jesus, we belong to him. It seems when we get to this passage in Romans 8 that there are several chapters of heaviness, the heaviness of sin that Paul lifts off of our shoulders. I was talking to someone this week and they were saying that in conversation, you know, we've been taking our time in Romans and it's just been overwhelming. Like this idea, we've been talking about sin and sin and sin and sin. And you're thinking, man, I come to church to feel good and I leave here feeling overwhelmed. Like, oh my word. And in one verse, Paul takes all of that weight and lifts it right off of our shoulders and says there is no more condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. And even though you are plagued with doubt and uncertainty at times, and even though you may feel anxious and maybe grief-stricken because of the internal frustration of the war between the natures of the flesh and the spirit, Paul speaks with loving concern to us as he says that the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we can know that we are His. Listen. What we're going to look at this morning is very important for you to settle in your heart. Because it's the truth of what God says about you no matter how you feel. And when God speaks concerning you, it is better to rest in the knowledge of the Creator than to rest in how we feel. God is giving comfort to our hearts. And so as we build on the indwelling ministry of the Holy Spirit, We receive assurance. We receive security that we belong to Him. And we are a part of His family forever. It's my prayer that you see God's love for you today. I don't know your exact circumstances. I don't know uh, what you have brought in to to the relationship that you have with Jesus. I, I don't know what you're carrying with you as you walk through the doors this morning. I don't know how... Uh, overwhelmed you may feel when you think on your past and, and those moments where you just know that you've never experienced the things that maybe I'm introducing to you this morning. But I pray you leave here today knowing for sure that God loves you unconditionally. And I pray that you experience the freedom that He gives you that you can run to Him as a child runs to His parent. I pray that we see that God is magnified in these truths. And so let's look at this passage, verses 14 through 17. I want to read all the verses for you, and then we'll start unpacking uh, these truths. In Romans 8, 14, the Apostle Paul writes, For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him so that we may, be, we may also be glorified with Him. Amen. Wow. This is good stuff. It's wonderful. Paul says for all in verse 14 for all. That's important. This connects with everything that is said in verses 9 through 13 as Paul reveals the benefits of the indwelling Holy Spirit. Notice that the benefits that the Spirit gives, the truths that are to come in these verses that we read, are not for a few. They're not for a select few in the Christian life. They're for all who have found life in Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ today as Lord and Savior, everything that we see in these verses that pertains to belonging to God and having a future with God belongs to you. It's a possession that is given to you. You don't earn it. You can't do anything to receive it. God in His grace says it's for you. Every person who is being led by the Spirit these are the sons of God. Now, we've been talking about the, the responsibility that we have as we walk with the Spirit. And we, we talked last week about this idea in verse uh, 13. If you're living according to the flesh, you will die. You must die. But if you are walking by the Spirit, if you are led by the Spirit... And you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And so as you yield yourself, you know what I mean by the word yield, right? You know what a yield sign is on the road. Yield means join in. Now, it doesn't mean drive faster and jump in. Or have no regard for anyone around you and just push yourself in. Oh, that drives me crazy. No, yielding to the Spirit is saying, yes, here I am. Work. It's believing that God's plan is greater than our efforts and it's trusting that as He works inside of us, we change. And so we yield ourselves to the Spirit as we walk with the Spirit and we put to death the deeds of the flesh that lead to death and we walk in newness of life. And when we walk in newness of life, the life that God gives us through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit testifies that we are sons of God. Now, a quick note on this phrase sons of God, right? We can say sons and daughters. You know, let's just be clear I, I I don't know why we feel like we need to define these things today but we do it's not that Paul is forgetting or he's saying you know if you come to Christ that you change or anything like that no the sons of God refer to those, all those who belong to the family of God now this was a huge deal for the people that heard these words as Paul wrote sons of God Because in the Roman church, there would have been Jewish people that came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. And as they heard these words, there was this thought. There was probably this truth. Oh, my word. We're sons of God. We're children of God. The Jewish people who made up a portion of this church would never call themselves that, they wouldn't. We don't see this in the Old Testament. We see that God calls His beloved people children. We do see in God's providence and His sovereign love that He chose people and adopted them into His family. And the context also helps us to understand what sons means because in verse 16 and 17, He builds on that and He indicates not just sons, but children. Sons and daughters. It's a corporate identity. It means for all of us that if we belong to Jesus Christ, we belong to something greater than just ourselves and God. We're his family. We're in it together. It's one of those things you're stuck with me. You know, it's that kind of attitude, it's that kind of understanding. It's that kind of, it's not an organization, it's an organism. It's a living body. It's us with Christ as the head. And we all belong together to Him. It means that we're not alone. We're not alone because we know that God is inside of us, but we're also not alone because we have each other. That's a huge thing. When I, when I shared a, a, at the opening of my message Some of the things that I've mourned and grieved over this past year, it's that. That we've been more alone. I've been more alone. Now, it's not that when I went home, we all went to our rooms and didn't talk to each other kind of alone. No, but in the sense of the corporate fellowship, the corporate identity, the family, the belonging to the people of God. And that's who we are. And there is nothing else in the world that compares to what God has put together in His church. So, what does the Spirit's leading mean? When Paul says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, what does this mean? It means our sanctification. The tense of the verb being led is in the active sense. It carries the idea of steady and constant leading. The Spirit's leading is not primarily protective in the sense of the Spirit is only there to say, watch out, watch out, don't go here, don't go there. No, the Spirit's leading is corrective. It moves us closer to the will of God. The Holy Spirit speaks into our hearts the truth of Scripture. The Holy Spirit does warn us but He corrects us. He assures us. He reminds us of God's faithfulness. And the Holy Spirit doesn't just point out the way, but He also empowers us to live lives that are pleasing to the Lord. And so Paul writes in verse 15, For you have not received the spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba! Father, as we learned in Romans 6, sin enslaves us. It's a terrible tyrant. Sin destroys. Sin chains us up. Sin hinders us from being able to live the way that God has designed us. Sin ruins the fellowship that God wanted to have with us. Sin destroys relationships. It destroys identity. It destroys everything that it touches. There is nothing, there is never a moment where we can say, sin is no big deal. Sin is destructive. And when Paul says, for you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, what he's saying to, the, to this church, to these believers who just walked through the doctrine of sin and saying, yes, we know we have been controlled by sin. Yes, we know that we were dead in our sin and trespasses. Yes, we know there was nothing good inside of us. Yes, Paul, we agree with you that we are wretched. There is nothing good. We understand that. And when Paul says that we have been purchased and bought with a a precious price. And we have been set free through the cross of Jesus Christ, that his blood shed paid for our sins. What Paul was saying is we're not just transferred from one dominion of slavery to another dominion of heavy slavery. Now, if you remember in Romans, Paul said that we are slaves of God. We are bond servants of God himself. But note this, About that kind of yoke of slavery. It's not heavy and tyrannical, it's not destructive. The Holy Spirit given to us is not a heavy spirit of slavery leading to fear. It's not like God's Spirit is given to us to yell at us all the time when we get it wrong and to push us when we're weak and failing. Now we've re- we've received a spirit of adoption, adoption in God's sovereign grace. He has adopted us into His family as an act of His love through the cross of His Son. And we un- we need to understand adoption in the first century world for a minute, the Roman world that Paul. Uh, wrote to. Adoption would have been something much like today where uh, a father, a, a man, an adult male would choose a child to adopt. And he would go before the courts and there would be legal proceedings where uh, a, a child that did not belong into the family would be brought in, and that father would confer to the child all legal rights and privileges that would normally accrue to a, a a child that was born a natural child, coupled with that the Jewish people, the Jewish audience would have understood adoption in the sense of how the Old Testament painted adoption. We know Moses was adopted right in the pharaoh 's family we know Esther was adopted by Mordecai. It says in Esther that she had no father or mother, but was brought in. And so the Old Testament person understood the power of adoption, especially as God's people were chosen by God to be sons. And they were brought into the family to be cared for. The idea of adoption in verse 15 carries with it the full weight of legal standing. Remember, God is judge. And he declares no more that we are children of wrath. There is no more condemnation through Jesus Christ. We are declared righteous as Christ is righteous. And when the judge declares that, the judge also adopts us and brings us into his own family. And he changes our identity. Now, I've had the privilege since I've been here uh, a few times to, to see families that have gone through the process of adoption and one of them is here. It was amazing. It is amazing. When you see children who need unconditional love, and protection, brought into the safety and umbrella of a loving home. And they have new parents to care and to encourage. Listen, we've all been brought in together. God chose us to be in his family. And he has given to us every right and every position that he would confer to a child. This thought is, I think, too marvelous to for words. We're part of God's family. Have you thought about that? I'm a child of God. I'm a son of God. You're a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. That all who have come to trust in the Lord have received forgiveness for sin and are welcomed into the family, not as strangers. Right? Verse 15. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again. It's not like God says, okay, you can come in, but you got to stay in the basement. Or you can come in, but hey, everyone else gets to eat first and then you get what's left over. God doesn't work that way. He doesn't have a class system. He invites all of his children to come to the table and to enjoy and to be loved. And so the result is we don't approach God with fear and trembling. The assurance that the Spirit gives us that we are adopted is the assurance that we don't crawl to God wondering, God, do you care? Can I come to you? Will you listen to me? No. God assures us, everything has been removed. Every hindrance, every obstacle, your standing has changed. And when you come to me, I don't want you to come with fear and trembling. I want you to come as a child that runs to their father and says, Abba, Dad, we need you. And he has provided the place and the means and the opportunity for that to occur. And for some of you this morning, maybe you need to hear that is your God. He doesn't keep score, He doesn't have a record. He's saying, Well, you came to me last week with this thing, and that hasn't changed. He's dad. And that word, dad, is very clear in the text. It's the word Abba. The word Abba is an Aramaic term that was a personal word. It it was so personal that the writers of Scripture, when they wrote this Aramaic word, they just left it the way it was. Uh, The Aramaic word described the close relationship a child would have with their father as they were growing the English equivalent is the word daddy. It's a term of affection. It's a term of closeness. And Paul, in writing this spirit of adoption and what has changed in our lives, says Abba, and then he provides the Greek word pater uh, for father. Father. And so there would be a clear understanding of what everyone was hearing from Paul's pen that when we approach God, he's not this stoic deity that is far off and that is just in a class on his own. No, because of Christ, we're brought in as children and we enjoy him in that intimate fellowship that a child enjoys with their parent and that there is never a moment that we are convinced otherwise that we don't belong that God through Christ has paid for it all and through the assurance of the Holy Spirit you can go to God and jump up in his lap and call him dad Jesus called his heavenly father Abba in fact he did it on the night before he died In Mark 14.36, Jesus was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. When he addressed the Father, he addressed him as dad. That phrase is found throughout the Gospels. The Jewish person would have never addressed God as dad But when we become sons and daughters of the King, Jesus tells us, you can call dad, dad, because you belong to me. Our God and Father is a loving God, a tender father, a safe place for all of his children to go. And when you are despairing because you belong to him, he will not turn you away. You have been given the spirit of adoption. And in verse 16, Paul adds on that and says, the Holy Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Our assurance comes as a result of the Holy Spirit indwelling us and affirming inside of us that, yes, we belong to God. We are His children. now i 'm not quite sure what this word testify" means in its explanation like what does it actually look like? I think it could be through uh, the result of the fruit of the Spirit, as the Holy Spirit lives inside of us. the Holy Spirit testifies that we belong to God. How does it give testimony? How do we know for sure our lives bear fruit? We know from galatians five twenty two through twenty three that Anyone who yields to the power of the Holy Spirit, who who has been born again, will produce fruit in their lives. And we know that fruit from what Paul says to the Galatian church. It was also important, as Deuteronomy 17, verse 6 indicates, that it took the testimony of two to make an act confirmed. And so our spirit and the Holy Spirit testify that we are children of God. Building on this thought in verse 17, Paul says, and if we are children, like th- this is where my mind blows up. Like if you ever see me in my study, sometimes uh, you stop in on a Thursday or Friday after I'm reading and praying through these things. And you say, oh, my gosh, what happened to him? He's like passed out in the corner or something. It's because, you know, you're studying the text and you get to this point and you think, yes, I'm a child of God. And that would seem like enough. Like if I was God, I would say, OK, you're a child. And that should be enough. But you're going to be really glad that I'm not God. And I'm glad that I'm not God. Because it's not enough. Paul builds on it and he says, If you're children, then you're heirs also. You see that? And if children, heirs also. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. If you are a child of God, you are God's heir. Now, I don't know if you've ever been an heir to someone that has passed away. And you've received an inheritance. Now, while they have passed away, what was theirs is given to you. But what they give you is only limited and temporary. It's not unlimited. It's finite. It can run out. But what God promises to his children is unlimited. The prophet Haggai said in Haggai 2.8, God owns all the silver and gold. Psalm 50, verse 10 says that He owns every beast of the forest and a cattle on a thousand hills. God owns it all. And if you are His child, you are His heir. A fellow heir, as Paul says, with Christ. And this, I can't understand. This is one of those things where I'm just saying, okay, God, you've said it. It's true. I trust it. Jesus will receive a future kingdom. We know that. He will return again, and he will set up a kingdom that will last for a thousand years on this earth. Jesus will come to reign in glory and power. The righteous king will rule on this earth, and we as his adopted children will reign with him. We share in the king's kingdom. I don't know about you, I don't even feel a speck worthy of that. But it's not up to me. The king confers it to his children. we receive in the possession of this gracious gift and his inheritance. Now Paul answers a question that may have arisen in the minds of those who heard these words. If we are heirs with God and fellow heirs with Christ, how do we know for sure? If indeed we suffer with him. If indeed we suffer with Him. Now this, this brought up a new thought about the idea of persecution. And we're going to develop that later next week because in the preceding verses of verses 18 and following talks about the persecution, the trials, the suffering that comes to belong with Jesus. Like here's the thing too we need to understand. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, life isn't easy. It becomes more difficult because you know that you live in a fallen world. And there is a satanic force in control of this fallen world. And we don't belong. And this is not our home. And everything around us is dying and decaying and, and pulling us with the desires of the flesh. And yet God has rescued us. And He has called us to be His own. And He has changed us from the inside out. And He's given us a new identity. And yet there's that hostility that exists between light and darkness. And we need to settle it in our minds that even as a believer in Jesus, we need to not run to comfort. We need to run to the Father, to Dad. We need to run to His protection, His safety, that He is a strong tower for the righteous to run to. And that He will not let any of us be shaken. The world will shake, but God's children will not be dismayed. And so the question that you need to ask yourself, the question that I need to ask myself, is am I willing to suffer as a Christian? And we use that word suffering and we think, I don't want to suffer. I mean, really, I don't want to suffer. I don't. I want it as easy as possible. I mean, look at our life, right? Look at the world that we live in. Everything is about ease. Everything is about making life easier. let's go back 100 years ago or 150 years ago if we could get in a time machine and go back and and think about the process of dinner right you had to raise an animal you had to dig in the ground you had to cultivate all those things you had to slaughter the animal You had to, you know, pack it and get it prepared. Then it was time to make it. Well, you couldn't just flip a switch and turn on the oven. No, you probably had to cut a tree down to get the fuel for it, light the fire, let it warm up. Then you had all, you know, very crude materials or resources or instruments to make the food. And before you know it, maybe like forever later, after all of this work, you could enjoy a meal that takes, what, five to ten minutes to eat. Now, what do we do today? If we're hungry, we jump in the car and we go through the drive through And we complain because there's three cars ahead of us where someone forgot their change in their pocket. And we think, I'm on a schedule, I gotta go. Like, everything is about ease and comfort. Now I'm going to pick on my son for a minute. <laughs> we have high-speed internet at home. And he was complaining last night that the high-speed internet wasn't such high-speed internet. I'm like, oh my word, first world problem. But that's the world we live in, right? And yet the gospel tells us that we will suffer for believing and following Jesus. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, are we willing to suffer as a Christian? Church, from all indications it's going to get a lot, of, a lot worse for us in this world. Are we willing to suffer? But don't despair. Don't despair. The Spirit is in you and will strengthen you for the call that God has placed on your life as you walk with Him. Know that the benefits far outweigh the challenges of this world. And what God has promised to His children cannot be taken away. If you, are heir, if you are children, you are also heirs and fellow heirs with Christ. That can't be taken away. When the judge declares you that you are adopted as His child and the judge becomes your father, that can't be taken away. It's comforting to know that all who share in Christ's suffering will at last hear from His lips the welcoming words, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my rest. And so as we close, I pray that you have been encouraged in His promise that if you belong to the Son, you are His child. Your home is with Him. The Holy Spirit assures, bears testimony to our spirit that we belong to the family of God. And what He has promised is certain to pass. And you know that, right? God has never made a promise that He's not going to keep. His Word is true and settled in heaven. And for those who are still restless... And who have not found a home with the Lord, may I encourage you to take the step of faith to receive Him, to receive what He has provided for you through His Son Jesus. That Jesus gives forgiveness and life. And in so doing, He makes a space for you at His table and shares with you all that He has been given. If the Lord is calling out to you this morning in the restlessness of your heart, know that He wants you to come home. He wants to be your dad. He wants to show His love unconditionally to you. He wants to comfort your restless heart. He will give you His Spirit to help you to live the life that He wants you to live forever. And so if there's something holding you back, if you're saying, you know, that sounds really good, but I, I just, I can't trust that. Because everything that I've known to this point says otherwise. Can I say to you that there are Is an overwhelming number of people in this room this morning that knows what it's like to call God Father. And that they belong to his family, not based on anything that they have done, but based solely on what he has done for them. And if that's you this morning, if you're restless, I know, because I was there at one point in my life, I know you're tired, (laughs) you're exhausted. You may not feel like it in this moment right now, but at some point, you've just got to stop running and see that God is not out to get you, but that He has provided His Son for you, and He wants you to come home. And so I pray that you will find a home with Him today. How do you find a home? It's super simple. It really is. It's admitting that you're not home, right? It's admitting that because of sin, anything in your life, anything that you've said or thought or did that displeases God, that sin has separated you from Him. It's admitting you're a sinner, but it's believing in what He has provided for you. Jesus, the Son, came to die to pay the penalty for your sin. The perfect Son of God shed His blood so that you could be forgiven. And He was buried And three days later, he rose from the dead, victorious over sin and death. And every person that places their faith in the sacrifice that was made for their sin through the Son, Jesus, are brought to new life because the Father raised the Son from the dead and said, yes, that was sufficient. And when you do that, the Scriptures tell us, and Jesus said this in John 3, you are born again. And when you are born again, you are His child. It's not that hard. It really isn't. Sometimes we make it a lot harder than it is and say, I've got to read the Bible first. I've got to pray more. I've got to fix this. I've got to do that. And God is saying, just come to me. Just trust in me. Come home. The joy is when you come home, then He opens it up and says, okay, now walk in this. And then we get to come alongside of you and encourage you and, and, and just fan the flame of God's love in your heart. But you got to come home. So I want to pray for you. And if you leave here today with any questions about what that means. Like you walk out these doors and you're in the parking lot and say, oh, turn around and come back in this place. We want to talk to you about it. Like don't wait any longer because you don't know how much more time you have. God wants you to come home. So let me pray for you.